Good morning, dear Sangha. Today is the 17th of June, and we are in our 21-day retreat, The Science of the Buddha. And today we have a session of questions and answers. So those of us who have a question are invited to come up here and take turn to sit on the chair. <laughs> Listen down. And from time to time, we have uh, a written question to be read. <coughs> so let us uh, breathe before we ask the first question. Because I no longer feel safe, I want to leave and go home. However, I love, uh, I also want to stay because I love and trust you. Can you give me some advice? I have a chronic disease and need to cook for myself because I'm uh, allergic to most of the food being served here. The objects stolen are all necessary for me to do my cooking. I have the feeling someone wants to prevent me from doing my own cooking. Mr. Gina. (laughs) Sister Gina is the queen of the lower hamlet. Brothers and sisters, dear friends. When something disappears from around us, we get very upset. And this is a very logical, natural reaction to have. Um, And it is something that needs to be investigated to see what happened. And is there anybody who took our, our belongings? And that is something that we ask other people to do for us, and we help them doing so. What is very important is to go back to ourselves and to see what is coming up for us in this moment. What is the mental formation manifesting in this moment? 
Can we come back to our breathing? Can we come back to our steps? And if we cannot do this by ourselves, we take refuge in the Sangha and we ask them to breathe with us, to sit with us, to walk with us. So we find a quiet and a calmness within ourselves. Once we have the quiet and the calmness within ourselves, we ourselves can see the situation more clearly and we will be able to give support to those who are checking to see what actually happened. Um, when we sit down and we go back to ourselves, uh, we may see, uh, besides uh, anxiety and fear, uh, there may be other mental formations coming up that have been touched in us. In that way, when we sit down and we look, uh, the incident that happened becomes like a Dharma door. It becomes a door to which we can look into ourselves and uh, see ourselves more clearly what is already there and um, be able to take care, better care of ourselves also in any situation that we may encounter in our lives. So I see two aspects here. One is we will look and we are looking into the matter to see what it is. The other aspect is to look after ourselves. And to uh, uh, take this opportunity to uh, to get more in touch with ourselves also. Huh? Uh, this is one situation we encounter in our lives, but we encounter many situations in our lives. And in any situation, there's an outer aspect we need to take care of, and in any situation, there is an inner aspect we can take care of. And as I told you this morning, we are very sorry, of course, that this happened and caused you such an uh, upset, or not this morning, but yesterday already, an upsetting experience that uh, you know, we don't wish for anybody to happen to them. Dear Thai, uh, dear Sangha, fourfold Sangha, um, a few years ago I, I realized that um, global warming is, is going to happen and it's just a question of degree um, and that this is going to create um, uh, things like food shortages and water shortages. And the big question in my mind is whether we're going to do what we have always done, which is go to war, or whether we're going to be able to come together and work together. Um, and that mindfulness is, is what we need to avoid war. And I've decided that I want to make a career in bringing mindfulness to people, um, perhaps in schools or the workplace. 
And so the big question in my mind is, um, well, and, and I've also, mindfulness is really catching on. I went to a conference recently with John Kabat-Zinn and, and many, many um, scientists who are researching the impact of mindfulness on people. And um, it really is exploding out there. And I think very easily millions of people could be wanting to learn mindfulness in the next few years, hopefully millions or tens of millions. So my question is, how do we, how do we handle that, um, given that it, it takes a long time to train a teacher? And I look at myself and I think, okay, I, I became OI two days ago, <laughs> a long way from a Dharma teacher. Um, and, and, uh, and I look at, for instance, in schools, some teachers are um, being trained to teach mindfulness in one day, one professional development day, and then they're, they teach a mindfulness course. So I'm not sure how quickly we should go, um, because I, I'm concerned that if we go too quickly, people who, who aren't trained, who don't have much of a practice, um, that, that mindfulness could get a bad reputation. And so, um, but I feel like we should be bringing mindfulness to as many people as possible, as quickly as possible. So I'm wondering what you think in terms of how fast should we be going and how much, how much of a practice does someone need before they can teach? Now you can begin to teach right, right away by uh, breathing the way we should breathe and walking the way we should walk. And that is already teaching. Because there are novices who have just been ordained and their practice can be very helpful already. The way they walk, the way they uh, uh, move around, the way they sit, they inspire a lot of uh, confidence and hope. So you don't need to spend 10 years in order to, do, to, do, to become a high, uh, venerable, uh, uh, receive the lamb transmission in order to teach. So it can teach right away. Mm. Uh, but uh, in order to teach, you have to be a teacher. And uh, teaching in the Buddhist context is to set an example. If you abide uh, in mindfulness and breathe uh, mindfully, and if you, uh, when you walk, you walk mindfully and enjoy every step, that is teaching, even if you don't give a discourse. And I don't think that the problem of time uh, how uh, how could how how quickly we should do it's not the problem of how quickly but uh, how authentically how deep how deeply uh, we live our practice life mm. 
Concerning the first question, I like to tell the story of uh, a nun who graduated from uh, America and who practiced as a nun in Vietnam. He, she was um, she was uh, arrested by the police and put into prison because of uh, her action for peace and reconciliation. And she tried her best in order to practice uh, in her prison cell. Uh, It's difficult because during the daytime, um, if they see you sit, practicing sitting meditation, in your cell, they think of that as a um, provocative uh, action. You you defy them by sitting like that, by having peace. (laughs) So they don't allow you to, to sit in meditation. So you have to wait until they turn the light off in order to sit up. So they steal from us uh, even uh, the opportunity to practice. And yet she was able to to continue her practice. She did walking meditation. And the space uh, she had is very small. And also she was able to talk with uh, gently to uh, gentleness to the people who were locked in the same same room with her. And she helped them to to suffer less with the practice. I think they can steal uh, many things from us, but they cannot steal our determination, our practice. In a case uh, that is uh, extreme like that, we can still maintain our happiness, our peace, and our practice. So if uh, they take away some of our cooking, (laughs) means that is not too too bad. We still have our practice. We can still uh, breathe and walk and smile and I'll be in privileges for that, not for cooking. Thank you. Dear Thai, dear noble community, um, I really appreciate uh, the Buddha, our teacher, the Sangha, other teachers and friends I have to help this question manifest in me or through me. And um, I really ask the Buddha and the Sangha to help 
with an open heart and a clear mind so that this question can be of benefit to the community. So my question has to do with the revised mindfulness trainings of the 5 and the 14, um, the third mindfulness training and the 14th mindfulness training. The language all I, is really beautiful, but there's one phrase that says, um, I agree to refrain from sexual relations without a deep loving commitment made known to my family and friends. And it's made known to my family and friends. I'm the mother of very many children, four of my own and five of my husband's. I'm the oldest of six children, and I know how very important it is for a family um, to support um, couples in their relationships. And that was very necessary for me in the early years of my second marriage. At the same time, um, I have many friends and know many people in the lesbian, gay, um, bisexual, transsexual, transgendered community. And um, they're what I have heard from friends is the difficulty with this language. Um, and I'll share with you just this morning I was sitting in meditation because this question has really been working in me and a very, very close friend came into my meditation and um, he passed away in 1989 from AIDS in New York in a hospital. And what he said to me was, Denise, this question is important because I believe many people have suffered and died because of the conditions in our society, the fear and the discrimination against people um, who have a different orientation in their expression of love. So my question is, will Thai and the Fourfold Sangha please look into this issue with our mindfulness trainings so that we can develop a deeper insight into um, what this difficulty is and what the happiness is of people who have a different orientation toward true love. It manifests differently than it does for me and maybe for other people in this sangha. Um, and I wanted to bring the question forward because without the voices of other people, I would not even necessarily think of the question. And... Um, so I thank you very much. Mm. Well, the, the, the work of revising the, the precepts, the trainings uh, took place even during the time of Buddha. As uh, society changed, uh, um, the way to present uh, the training should be changed also to uh, respond to the new situation. So the new uh, version of uh, the five trainings, the 14 trainings, have been done uh, collectively with the Sangha, in which many uh, 
Dhamma teachers uh, participated. So if uh, anyone in the Sangha would like to offer some kind of insight and ideas, uh, they are encouraged to contact um, Dhamma teachers in the Sangha and in other Sanghas not to, uh, to propose. And, uh, and that will be recorded, that kind of um, proposals, ideas will be recorded, so that the next time when uh, the trainings are revised, people will meditate and uh, try to uh, take into account that kind of uh, proposals. You know? So that's the way we do as a Sangha. Because there will be uh, uh, revision uh, later on in the process, in the course of uh, practice. community. My question um, has to do with the practice of no notions that you've been emphasizing. Um, And a way that I've been practicing it, and I wanted to um, ask your opinion if I'm doing it correctly. Uh, About six years ago, my family had a um, very uh, serious tragedy and I felt overwhelmed, my mental formations and feelings and everything were swirling. Um, and at that time, I'd been practicing breathing uh, awareness and, and mindfulness for quite a while, but I was so overwhelmed at that point. And right at that, um, the most intense part of my crisis. I happened to be reading Zen Keys, and in Zen Keys, um, you talked about, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but Chow chose no, and um, you were very enthusiastic in your commentary, and uh, you talked about taking no into your, into the marrow of your bones, and absorbing it and being very focused on it. So I did that. (laughs) And um, it was great. It helped me so much that every time I sat down uh, to sit instead of my usual breath focus because I was so um, very overwhelmed, excuse me, I practiced with no... And um, I was saying no, not to life or the situation, but no to conceptualization. And on the other side of the, of the coin, it was yes to everything that's real. And I think it saved my life. But I sometimes worry because 
in, in my sangha and uh, in your teachings in general, I've never heard you refer to that, the practice of no, and I've relied on it quite a bit for the last six years. So I want to make sure that I'm not <laughs> um, practicing in a way that might be um, avoiding some of my psychological issues related to the suffering. So um, that's my question um, is, may I, is it okay, do you think it's healthy for me to go on using the no koan as a very uh, significant part of my practice? Or would you advise that I wean myself uh, and emphasize I also do the breath practice because my sangha does that and you teach about it so much, but is it okay to keep um, practicing rather um, devotedly with, with the no practice? Thank no, you very no. much. Yes, the, the, the answer is no, for the practice of no. <laughs> In fact, uh, no is uh, to respond to, to the tendency to grasp, to be caught. Uh, if there is something proving that uh, the other person is, uh, being, is about to be caught in an idea. So the no is to rescue him or her for not being caught. So the no is not uh, the truth that you are looking for. The, true, the no is an instrument, an instrument. And uh, an instrument, uh, you know how, you should know how to use an instrument. Like a knife, it's very dangerous. <laughs> uh, sometimes the no will help, sometimes the no will not help. So you should not be uh, dogmatic on, on that. The no here is a method. No, here is not a declaration of truth. Uh, sometimes you have to say yes in order to to come to 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 to, to get the same result. Yeah, freedom. Yeah, so we should not be caught either by no or yes. Mm-hmm. But it's very clear that in this retreat we are given very concrete practices of walking, of breathing, of releasing. So we should try to practice that. Zen ki is something very far away. The person who wrote it is already dead. 
uh, you have some someone alive now. You have to get in touch with him. <laughs> Thank you. Respected Thai, dear Sangha, um, the question I'd like to ask is how to practice letting go. Letting go uh, gives us a lot of freedom. And we know that freedom is a very essential to our happiness. But if we do cannot let go easily because we are afraid, you may think of uh, the object as something uh, very important for us. Without, without it, we cannot uh, survive. Without that, we cannot uh, be happy. And uh, it is uh, our attachment to it, our incapacity to let it go, that we continue to suffer. So we have to ask the question again whether this is uh, a cow or not, a cow to let go or not. Your idea of happiness, for instance, is a cow. And if you, happiness has not come, maybe because you still entertain that idea of happiness. There may be other ideas of happiness. Uh, many of us uh, believe that uh, if uh, they can get rid of, of this, if they can get hold of that, they will be happy. Yeah. Getting rid of something and getting something else. Uh, maybe that is an idea. But we cannot be sure that when that happens, you can be happy. So the first thing to let go is our idea. We have to allow the happiness sessions to come by itself. And uh, happiness has a lot of chance to come when we are free. So uh, what uh, makes it difficult for us to let go is our fear. We are afraid that if uh, we let that go, we will have nothing to cling on, uh, have no safety, we have uh, nothing left. So from an idea to uh, anything else, uh, you have to ask the question whether this is a uh, an obstacle for our happiness or not, or, or just um, mm, uh, our, our thinking, our belief that it is uh, 
crucial to our happiness. When uh, the Prashna temple in Vietnam was uh, attacked, uh, 400 young monastics uh, who lived there Mm, they believe that uh, that is their place, that that is their practice center. Uh, they should hold on to it and try, they try their best in order to resist. Because um, Prashna was a place where the young people can find themselves. When they come to a retreat, they, they find many other young people. They find that they can share, they can speak the truth. They can, they can tell each other what is their heart. They felt that there is a brotherhood and sisterhood. That kind of atmosphere they could not find in society. So uh, clinging to that, uh, to that environment, clinging to the sangha, uh, is for them uh, very crucial thing to do. And yet, people are way uh, uh, afraid. People, the government was afraid of uh, such a community of young people. So they try not to allow us to continue. And they, they invented uh, many kinds of uh, pretexts in order to, to remove the place. In the beginning, uh, the place become uh, the object of our of our of our action because we we we, we want to to keep the place. <laughs> but finally. Um, we realize that uh, it is not the place that is important. It is the practice that can generate uh, the energy of brotherhood, sisterhood. That is important. And if uh, we stay together as a Sangha, well, no matter where we go, we can do that. So uh, many of us, many of these young, young people uh, have to go into hiding after that. But we try to keep uh, in touch with each other. And finally, uh, we found uh, other places to come and practice together. Now we have, uh, many of them have uh, come to France Many of them have come to uh, Germany. Many of them have uh, come to uh, Thailand, 
we have a practice center there. And uh, a number of them still uh, uh, organize a smaller uh, center practice in Vietnam and continue. And uh, in the process of uh, doing that, we get uh, something more important than a center. Because uh, brotherhood, sisterhood, our faith in practice has been growing, even if the place is uh, removed from us. And uh, now everyone uh, has let go of the idea of uh, of uh, keeping that place. And we find out that uh, it's better because um, because uh, in in another situation it's uh, easier uh, uh, to do what we want to do to continue with the practice and to continue uh, generating the energy of brotherhood sisterhood mindfulness and so on so the to conclude, I would say that um, that we should not um, hold to an idea, and uh, if we are able to uh, to release the idea, and then there will be plenty of opportunities for us to realize what we want to realize. It's like um, the other day they talk about his uh, 40 years of exile. In the beginning, um, there was the feeling that uh, it's great suffering that you cannot be with your Sangha, that you cannot continue with your Sangha, that uh, out there, out here in exile, you cannot do anything. It was the in the beginning that kind of feeling, but in fact, if uh, they did not uh, have uh, the thirty nine years of exile, he could not have a chance to help build the Sangha in Europe and America and uh, uh, building the Sangha in Europe and America has also helped the Sangha in in Vietnam. So, uh, so our idea, uh, we shouldn't be too sure of it. Our idea, we, we should be ready to, to let go. What we consider to be a misfortune may turn out to be a fortune later on. Depends our way of uh, handling the situation. Yeah, dear Thai, we have many very interesting questions, um, but. 
three different people have asked about um, transmission and karma of deep suffering and illnesses through the family. So one person wrote, um, Dear Thai, Dear Sangha, my mother committed suicide and her mother also had tried to do it and before them other people in our family had committed suicide. I have read many biographies of people who committed suicide and had ancestors who had done the same. And I wonder, is suicide inherited? Does this mean that I am bound to do the same? I often think of it. Even when I'm in a good mood, if I get close to a window, I think I might jump out, just as my mother did. I feel a kind of dangerous attraction and I'm afraid of this automatism. It is as if my cells have metabolized suicide. Is it possible that my own cells kill me despite my will to live? Can I do anything about it? Or should I just let things be as they are? Let it go the way it is meant to go. And the other short note is, uh, Dear Thai, Dear Sangha, I've been diagnosed with cancer in September 2011 and given less than five years to live. One of my aspirations has been to transform the history of cancer in my family, but this is the second time I've had cancer, so I feel I'm not succeeding. My father also has cancer. What would I suggest be my vocation and practice that I might heal and transform the past and help others? And this note is asking, Dear Thai, what is your vision on karma and illness in family? This is uh, a problem of uh, transforming um, uh, mud into lotus flowers. The suffering, whether it is... uh, inherited from ancestors or it is uh, newly acquired uh, we should uh, we should try to look at it with the new eyes and this kind of uh, suffering this kind of mud am I capable of transform it into something more positive that this is a challenge. Maybe uh, my uncle, my grandpa, grandma was not able to do it, but maybe I can do it. Because I, I have encountered the Dharma and uh, I'm, I'm going to do it for, for my father, my uncle, my grandmother. So that is uh, the way we, we could do. Uh, we know that when someone uh, kill himself or herself. 
decision must be must uh, must have been must be uh, too hard for that person and maybe uh, and uh, sometimes we uh, intellectually we know that uh, life uh, there is a lot of wonders in life Outside there, flowers are blooming, the birds are singing. We know that uh, life is a miracle. There are a lot of wonders of life inside and around. And yet we cannot get in touch. We cannot get in touch with the wonders of life. Something prevent us from getting in touch with the wonders of life, so that we can nourish and and heal and uh, maybe those uh, who commit suicide they have that feeling that life is not really uh, awful life has a lot of wonders. But there is something that that doesn't allow them to touch the wonders of life. And there must be a way in order to remove that obstacle, so that we can truly be in touch with the flower that is blooming out there, with this beautiful sunshine out there, so that we can really got the joy of living. And in the Buddhist tradition, we, we know that uh, a Sangha is important. The Sangha is made of uh, elements who know, who know the practice, who are capable of joy happiness and freedom. And uh, the the joy, the collective joy, the collective uh, energy of mindfulness, uh, our brotherhood, sisterhood of the Sangha, may be something that we need in order to To, uh, to break through, to get a breakthrough, in order to get in touch with the wonders of life inside of us, even inside of us and around us. And uh, if we are motivated by a desire to do differently, if, uh, if we we have uh, the support of a Sangha. If we know the practice, and then we can tell ourselves that we, it is possible for us to do what uh, the people who came before us uh, could not do. And we do it for them, not only for, for ourselves. 
and that is uh, done uh, out. That is uh, realized out of love. Because my uncle could not do it, I am now doing doing it for him. So there is a that energy of love uh, in it. So that kind of aspiration, that kind of love, and that kind of collective energy um, provided by the Sangha will help us not to step into the footprints of those who have uh, have left and so and also we can open a new path for us and for our children inside of us who are about who are waiting to manifest. One or one one time when we visited, um, when we were in a teaching tour in America, we visited an exhibition called uh, the Body's War. There are many um, many human bodies, young people uh, that were preserved. And. Uh, in that exhibition, we saw hundreds of uh, human bodies preserved like that, uh, sitting, uh, standing, uh, in different kind of position. It was like a session of meditation, one hour and two hours, spending time on that. Later on, when one day, Thay was doing uh, mindful movement. <laughs> Suddenly, they saw that Thay was doing that for them because they cannot do it anymore. They were young people, but they died at their young age because of an, ac- of an accident or because of something else. So it's wonderful for you to do the mindful exercise not only for you, but for them who are no, no longer, who do not have longer the opportunity. To. So when you, you are able to, to do a movement like that, you, you see that it is a miracle. Mm. When, from time to time, during uh, walking meditation, I remember mm, his colleagues, were the, the same uh, the same age with they many have passed away already and if uh, uh, those who are alive they are very weak they cannot uh, they are on wheelchair they, they cannot move so from time to time they practice walking for them And uh, sometimes they work for Fapkin, because Fapkin was n- is not is no longer capable of uh, walking <coughs> and touching the wonders of life. 
space uh, working for, for him. They have many young uh, disciples who have, old, who have died. ในเชื้อไทยดังดำเหวี่ยงอินฮานอยอืมอืมอินเจนชินอินแคนาดาแต่ดำเหวี่ยงอินอินเจนชินเวอร์เอ่อแบทโนสูดแคนเซอร์แ
and he could uh, continue if uh, his wife uh, did not uh, leave him. <laughs> so with the Sangha, with the practice of mindfulness, you can perform miracles. And you do that not only for you, but for those who have come before you and those who are about to come. And you, you open a new way. Dutai, it's, it's so wonderful to uh, have an opportunity to be on retreat again with you and the Sangha. I'm so happy to have this opportunity. And I wanted to say before I had ever gone on a retreat with the Sangha, I had learned about the <clears throat> compassionate actions of Sister Chong Kong, yourself, and those in Vietnam putting efforts to uh, help those that were... Uh, victims of the war and helping uh, create peace. I learned of these things by reading your books. And, I, and I, I'm very happy when I see uh, how popular your books are. I see them stacked up very high uh, waiting for your signature. I, I wanted to ask So your books have helped me wake up and find a lot of joy in this life. And I wonder if you would uh, share with us the role you feel that Parallax Press plays in supporting the Sangha and in helping the world know about Thai's teachings, the mindfulness practice, and so that a future is possible. The role of your books and Parallax Press? Well, Parallax is just a very small publisher. Thai's books have been published by many, many other publishers. Um, in mainland China, Thai's book is uh, very well circulated. And... Um, it is able, it is possible for a number of our Dharma teachers to, to go and organize uh, retreats in, in mainland China. And uh, in China, our, our Dharma teachers already have already transmitted uh, the five mindfulness trainings, a new version uh, in Chinese. So people like it very much. Uh, the practice is so concrete. And uh, the books are available for, for people to read. And uh, uh, we have been asked come more often to mainland China to offer retreats 
ิดเอาดามาติชเชอร์สไอน์สโมลนัมเบอร์สโอไอเฮนอตรีสปอนต์ตัวเนื้อตัวเองทุกประเทศทุกประเทศที่มีความพยายามที่จะทำให้เกิดการเปลี่ยนแปลงทุกประเทศที่มีความพยายามที่จะทำให้เกิดการเปลี่ยนแปลงทุกประเทศที่มีความพยายามที่จะทำให้เกิดการเปลี่ยนแปลงทุกประเทศที่มีความพยายามที่จะทำให้เกิดการเปลี่ยนแปลงทุกประเทศที่มีความพยายามที่จะทำให้เกิดการ In Vietnam, Facebook uh, still are available. And uh, uh, our young Dharma teachers can organize uh, small retreats from time to time. We cannot be, uh, organize big retreats that goes scare people, but uh, small retreats yeah, is okay. And as far as publishers is concerned, we try to to urge the publishers to work together as a sangha. It's like in South Korea. His book were published by many, many publishers, and there was one. One day we we asked all the publishers to come <laughs> and to have a discussion how to work in harmony, a sangha of publishers. <laughs> and the book Anger um, is one of the books that sell very well in Korea. In one year, uh, it sells more than one million copies. Chers sanghas, chers quadruples communautés, je me sens plus solide pour poser la question avec des sœurs à côté de moi. Ma question concerne la colère et plus particulièrement ce que l'on appelle en français la colère rentrée. J'ai une maladie dans les mains, dans les tendons de la main. Euh, la main droite, la main gauche. Et lorsque j'ai montré mes mains à, au docteur Han, elle m'a dit :« Oh là là, tu dois soigner ton foie et tout ça, c'est de la colère rentrée. » La colère rentrée. Is um, so, dear Thai, this is uh, our friend Eliane, and um, she said, "I feel more solid to ask my question with the sister next to me." My question is about anger, and especially like, internalized anger. 
Is it correct, Sister Hagi? Yeah. Um, I, I have uh, an illness in the tendons of my two hands. And when I showed my hands to Dr. Han, she's a, a Dharma teacher in our Sangha, uh, Dr. Han said, you need to look after your liver because you have a problem of internalized anger, repressed anger. Ma première réaction a été de me dire, oh là là, tant de colère rentrée, c'est impressionnant. And my first reaction was to say, oh my goodness, so much internalized anger, that's really uh, shocking. Et de me rendre compte que, qu'il me faudrait beaucoup de courage pour aller creuser du côté de cette colère rentrée parce que... And that it would take me quite a lot of work to um, uncover, to uh, investigate this internalized anger. Parce que ça faisait appel à des souvenirs désagréables. Because I, it meant to go back into the pain of unpleasant memories. Mais je n'ai pas vraiment d'autre choix que de faire face. But it seems I don't really have any choice but to face it. Alors ma question est euh, comment faire, comment pratiquer quand la colère est si intériorisée, quand elle avance masquée et qu'elle met des années à se manifester à travers le corps. So when the anger has been um, going inside like that for so many years and has taken all this time to, to show, to manifest itself, then how do I practice with that? How do I, how do I practice skillfully with it when it's, when it's been so hidden and has been working inside for all this time? You are a Dharma teacher. Try to answer that question by yourself. Maintenant? She said, right now? Je suis un bébé Dharma teacher. Et je ne suis pas sûre de trouver les mots pour répondre. I don't know if I can find the words to answer. Et je pensais que, comme enseignant du Dharma, je pouvais encore poser des questions. And I thought, as a Dharma teacher, I was still allowed to ask questions. <laughs> it's very awkward. So we believe that everyone has a teacher inside. So the Dharma teacher has also a teacher inside. Je pense que 
qu'il est important de prendre conscience des manifestations, de commencer à reconnaître les manifestations de cette forme de colère en soi. I think it's very important to be able to recognize the manifestations of this anger in oneself. D'être que ce soit des manifestations sous forme émotionnelle ou sous forme corporelle. Whether those manifestations are in an emotional form or a physical form. Parce que la colère, quand elle advient, se manifeste dans l'instant présent. Because when anger comes, it manifests in the present moment. Et que la pleine conscience nous permet d'être attentif et à l'écoute de de ces manifestations. And mindfulness allows us to be attentive to and to listen to these manifestations. D'arriver peut-être, si c'est possible, à les mettre en mots, en prenant son temps, quelques heures, quelques jours, de pouvoir mettre des mots dessus. And if possible, uh, with time, some hours or some days, to be able to Um, find words to describe, to uh, understand the manifestation. Et peut-être de pratiquer avec ces mots qui peuvent devenir des sortes de mots-clés. And to be able to practice with these words that can be, they can act as kind of keywords, keys. Uh, pratiquer la marche méditative practice walking meditation ou la méditation assise sitting meditation et comme cette colère n'a pas été une colère explosive and since this has not been an explosive kind of anger il est peut-être possible de prendre son temps pour exprimer, arriver, trouver les moyens habiles, trouver les mots pour exprimer cette colère. It may be possible to give it the time that it needs to express itself to um, produce the words that can help understand. Voilà très modestement, très modestement, très humblement ce que je dirais maintenant sur le sujet. This is um, very humbly and very modestly what I could offer on this subject right now. Uh, in psychotherapy, uh, people tend to believe um, that uh, suffering, anger, despair uh, are poisons and it is possible There must be a way in order to to get them out of your system. Get it out of your system uh, by ways like a ventilation 
But in this practice, uh, well, we, uh, we have another approach. You don't need to take them out. They may be useful. They may be transformed right there where they are and become a positive uh, uh, materials. When you try to get anger out by hitting something like uh, a pillow, it looks very funny. <laughs> you believe that you are getting the energy of anger out of uh, your system. But it's not sure that you can get it out. Uh, by hitting the pillow, imagine that pillow is the enemy, the one who has made you suffer. Uh, you hit. You may be <clears throat> rehearsing your anger. You may, you may be making your anger stronger. You don't get it out of your system. you might be strengthening it. That's not drastic enough. It's safe, apparently it's safe to hit a pillow because you will not be arrested and put into prison. <laughs> but if you, you, you are used to to get a relief that way. It may be it may be dangerous. Tomorrow you may meet him on the street. <laughs> and maybe you got the habit. <laughs> and you can hit him right on the street and you will be arrested and put into prison. But in uh, this teaching and practice, uh, you know that uh, there is a substance that can neutralize anger. That is uh, compassion. If you know how to generate the energy of compassion, well, that, that, uh, that energy of compassion will neutralize anger. And maybe uh, that anger become a kind of substance that can that can be transformed into compassion also. Uh, by using the mud, you can fabricate uh, lotus flowers. And the principle we have learned in this retreat that you have to understand your own suffering. You have to embrace your own suffering. You don't try to evict, to, to throw your suffering out. You have to hold your suffering tenderly and look deeply into your suffering. It's anger is suffering. And we know that our suffering 
carries within it the suffering of our father, mother, ancestors, and the world. We have to see when we look the other person, we see that the other person also has a lot of anger and suffering in him or her. And because uh, that person did not know how to handle the energy of, of anger and suffering in him, he continued to be the victim. And he make uh, other victims around him, even if he doesn't want to. So to look at a person like that, to see the suffering inside of that person, to see that person being helpless, to see that no one has helped him or her. To see the suffering that he carries with him. And suddenly you, you understand. Because uh, when someone does not um, know how to handle his suffering, he can make other people around suffer, including his uh, wife and his children. So uh, with that kind of understanding, you don't want to punish anymore. Instead, you want to do something to help. And that kind of uh, attitude, that kind of uh, vision, uh, produce uh, the energy of compassion. And when compassion is born in your heart, it begins to heal and transform the anger in your heart, in every cell of your body. You don't have to take it out of your system. It is transformed right there and become something more uh, nutritive. So the practice is to look, and in the, in the Lotus Sutra, there is a wonderful sentence. Từ nhãn thì chúng sinh, look at living beings with the eyes of compassion. And that is our practice. When you look, you see People suffer, and if uh, they make you suffer because they don't know how to handle their suffering in them, they may try to get a relief. So that kind of uh, vision helps uh, the nectar of compassion to be born in your heart. Suppose we sit in a group of people. Instead of saying things, we just breathe in and out and look at person and recognize, identify the suffering, the type of suffering in each person. 
and ten minutes uh, looking like that can already produce a lot of suffering uh, of uh, compassion in you. It's very healing. Transformation and healing take place where, with uh, the way you look at people. Suppose you are sitting in a bus, uh, in a subway, in the subway. Instead of thinking of this and that, look at the people around you. Look at the expression of the face, reflecting suffering and so on. You can see the suffering. And touching the suffering like that, mm, compassion is born in you. So our practice is to generate compassion. And I think a week of practice like that can can make a big difference. Từ nhãn thì chúng sinh look at uh, living beings with the eyes of compassion is our practice. This is an honor, and um, I am so very grateful for it. You may see me shaking, but that's because I am so full of joy that my body's dancing. Um, I was born feet first, and my mother said that that's because I was born to dance. Um, I was born in Puerto Rico um, in a culture where dance is very much part of it. And we dance when somebody was born. We dance if somebody got married. We dance if somebody died. So we dance to celebrate, to heal, and to grieve. Um, By profession, I have been an educator and a psychotherapist. But, but, But dance is the essence in my life. And I often said that if I had not danced, I would not be alive today. I think there is a difference between a performer and a dancer. I think the performer dances thinking about the audience uh, who's watching. But the dancer is one that expresses his or her feelings in movement with the intention to receive, to release, and to share. Um, I think that um, dance can be a tool to help um, eradicate social, gender, (coughs) racial prejudices. And I think this applies to dancers from all over the world. I can speak for a little bit about Latin dancers. Uh, Nowadays, 
They're very popular. Uh, practically everyone in the world knows about salsa. And, um, but my concern is that these dances are seen only as, a, as an expression of sexuality and sensuality, and that we are missing the main intentions, which is self-healing. I'm also concerned about how children are being used and manipulated by being taught movements that they still don't know, that they are adult movements. Children should be allowed to dance their own dance. I don't think that anyone can teach anyone how to dance, but I think we can all create safe environments, share some basic movements, and then encourage people to celebrate, to release, and to share. I am trying to talk a very little, because when I begin to talk about dance, I can go on. But let's say in Puerto Rico, we have a dance called plena. Until today, la plena, the plena was like the newspaper. So that's how people found out what was going on. And nowadays, when there is a demonstration, a strike, people are getting losing their jobs, or at the university, immediately you're going to see people there playing and dancing plena. The problem is that people get so happy that they forget why they went there to strike and they end up dancing. So that's how it is for us. Now, my question, Ty, you did... <laughs> okay, now. Um, you have no idea how happy I am. Now, um, you did say that life, you know, that suffering and happiness and joy are two sides more, that's not what you said, but two sides of the same coin. And my life has been blessed with plenty of both. Now, I've been wanting to write this book for many years. And, that, and ideas come and they dance in my head and I write it in a paper and I throw it in an envelope. And my concern is that I don't know how to separate what I know, what I feel about dance from my life. And my life is mixed to the, with the life of my loved ones. And if I begin to talk about it, the stories are going to include my loved ones. And even though I think it may be a great instrument for me to continue in my healing and also maybe to serve as information for other people and implement dancing this way even in schools, this is something that I have already begun to do in correctional facilities, with the elderly, with children, and it is amazing what happens. Um, I don't know how to separate the stories, my life from the dance. And I am afraid that when I tell the stories, others will feel hurt and I will violate some of their privacy. So I don't know how to do this. I don't know part of me. Sometimes I thought that I was lazy and procrastinating. But it is that I don't know how to do it. I don't know if I need to forget about this idea or if I'm going to do it, how I'm going to do it to help 
and not to hurt those that I love the most. Can you offer a few minutes of dance now? very well with the concept of dance as a self-healing innate movement and it goes like this I'm going to show it and if it resonates with you then everybody's going to get up and we're going to do it together but I'm going to show you I'm going to show you first because if I begin to do it when everybody gets up then the ones in the back will not see it okay? and it goes like this I open my heart, I open my heart, I embrace the world, I give to the sky, I receive from the sky, I give to the earth, I receive from the earth, I give to the people, I receive from the people. Those of you that like it. Get up. I'm going to do it. But, but, but you need to breathe in a couple of times. Now take a breath. Breathe in and out. But I want to hear that breathing. And when you breathe out, you're going to go like this. Oh. Again. Oh. Now we're getting there. Great time. Like you mean it. Thank you. 